God is worthy of our praise. And it's a privilege also for us to come together and praise God. What a privilege it is that God has given us an opportunity on this side of heaven to praise him and worship him. And I hope and pray that you have come with that. It's good singing. Uh, it's wonderful. And I pray that the singing and the, uh, the words of those hymns prepared your heart for the word of God. If you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. got to bring your Bible with you there's going to be the verses on the screen there and it's good to reaffirm the words that we preach from the word that you see them and no one understand that these words that we preach are not the words of men but rather the words of God and uh, it's, it's good to be able to have uh, the scriptures in our hands even in these last days maybe one day as the world gets darker they'll perhaps ban the Bible altogether and so it's good to have it the liberty to be able to be under the word of God and not even having to look to see if anyone's coming uh, to catch us. And can you imagine that? The first century church, just for being Christians, just for uh, naming the name of Christ, uh, they'll be f you know, fearful for their life. And, and, uh, and I, I believe that's it's a growing darkness that is going to be uh, taking place in the future. But we thank God for the liberty that we have now in being under the word of God. And what you do with what you hear today will make all the difference. And I pray that you'd be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Amen. Uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. We'll read verses 1 all the way to verse, I believe, uh, I would say about 6 and, uh, or 5 uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And we'll see what these verses uh, have for us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our gracious God, we do come before you this morning and we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, that we have it in our hands. We can read, study, hear it, and uh, not only this, but with your help, apply it, live it out, Father, that we would be built up in the faith. I pray, uh, my gracious God, uh, for anyone here in this room that hasn't yet come to know your Son as their Saviour, that you'd also minister to them. I pray that you would strengthen my heart and mind, uh, Lord God, uh, regarding the things that I've studied in your word. Help me convey them simply and plainly uh, to the heart of your people, trusting that you will do what I cannot. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter number 2, beginning from verse one, notice what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Again, last week we saw what pleased God to convey his message to his people. Uh, wasn't skits or entertainment, comics, plays or anything of that nature. It wasn't even man's wisdom or eloquence. God would use the simple preaching of the cross of Christ to bring about truth in the heart of his people. God chose the preaching of the gospel, which is the wisdom of God. You would know that by now as we've been going through the 
1 Corinthians chapter number 1, as the vehicle to move in the hearts of people, especially those that what? Believe the message of the gospel. And, uh, and so 1 Corinthians 1.21 is what we looked at last week. After that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of what? Preaching to save them that what? Believe. And so Paul continues to illustrate the usefulness of, uh, uh, you know, uh, or can I say the uselessness, not usefulness, of human wisdom and the usefulness of the preaching of the gospel. And so over here we see Paul, uh, when he first met the Christians or the unbelievers at the time when uh, he was in Corinth, he declared the gospel in simple terms. He says, when I came unto you, refers to for, for, uh, Paul's first visit to Corinth, uh, his second missionary journey, about 51 AD, when he established the church there. He said, I did not preach with excellency of what? Speech. He says, when I came unto you, I didn't... Uh, you know, use excellency. He never came with excellency of speech. Now, Paul could have. He was a well-educated man. Uh, he, was, he was no doubt, uh, uh, you know, read up in, in, in uh, education, and, and he, he could have. But he didn't use impressive words to get the attention of his hearers. He used basic terms that they could understand relating to the gospel of Christ. Warren Weasby says, too many preachers of the word so magnify themselves and their gifts that they fail to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul glorified in the cross of Christ and made it the center of his message. And so Paul did not use human wisdom. He says, nor of wisdom. Paul didn't present the gospel with human intelligence or demonstrate worldly wisdom or knowledge to impress his hearers. William MacDonald said he was not at all interested in showing himself off as an orator or a philosopher. You know, Paul the Apostle just preached the plain, simple message to those uh, that were, uh, you know, uh, paying attention to him. He goes on, his, when I declared the testimony of God. Now, declared means to pronounce, means to preach. And so Paul says, when I came to preach, I never came preaching the testimonies of God with excellency of speech or with human wisdom, but rather he came with simple terms, preaching the cross of Christ. Now over here it says declaring, if you will, the testimony of God. And so when Paul traveled to Ephesus, he encouraged the elders of the church and said this, he says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Wherefore I take you record this day, he says, that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now the testimony of, of God is all the counsel of God that centers around the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to point out a few things regarding the testimony of God. First of all, the testimony of God refers to the word and the wisdom of God. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Look at this. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so God's word, his wisdom, is the very thing that God will use to open up the eyes of the blind and give good godly sense to those that are naive, gullible, simple. Okay. Second of all, the testimony of God refers to the unfailing truth. 
found in the word of God. Psalm 119, 138. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very what? Faithful. And he refers to the testimonies that are of God, the commandments that are righteous and very faithful, truthful. And, uh, and by the way, promises that are sure. God never breaks his promise. Yeah, God's word can be trusted. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not pass away. God's word is forever settled in heaven. <clears throat> Jesus expressed his significance to Pilate uh, for coming into the world. He said, to, he said to Pilate that he had come to testify of the truth. Okay. Thirdly, the testimony of God refers to the wisdom, oh sorry, to the will of God. 1 John 4.14 And we have seen and do what? Testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. So the apostles are testifying of the Son. By the way, God the Father testifies of the Son. Remember when he got baptised? He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am what, well what? Pleased. And the Holy Spirit to come at Pentecost testifies of the Son. And so we hear the testimony of God is the revelation that was the mystery of God revealed to us through the prophets and the apostles and now uh, through Bible teachers to us that Jesus Christ is the answer to the sin-sick soul of a man. I want you to see this in 1 John 5, 6. He says this, that this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but, all, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is what? Truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the Word, and the Blood. And these, agree, uh, these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not of God. Uh, not God, have made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. What's the record? That This is the record. God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his what? Son. He that hath the son hath and he that hath not the son of God hath not what? And he says, these things I'm writing unto you, the testimony of God, if you will, the record that he says this, uh, that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the testimony of God found throughout all the scriptures regarding his Son and the very things that Paul declared to the church <clears throat> at Corinth. We also see the testimony of God refers to prophecy regarding the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 39, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, search the scriptures, meaning the holy word of God. He said, search them, for in them you think you have eternal life, for they are, for they, are they which what? Testify of me. So the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. It's a testament, it's a revelation of God to man. Number five, the testimony of God refers to the Lord Jesus, the gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, this is how Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 4 in 1 Corinthians. He says, I thank my, he says, I thank, uh, my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given 
you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. It's all about Christ. It's all about his son. And even John the Revelator begins to say this in the book of Revelation. We say the book of Revelation is the book of what uh, is going to be revealed in uh, yeah, future things to come. We even would say this is the revelation of John. And those two things are true. But listen, really, the revelation pointed out, pointed out in the uh, Revelation is about Jesus Christ. You know, prophecy is not prophecy without Jesus. Jesus is a central uh, figure of prophecy. You wouldn't have any much prophecy without the first coming or the second coming of Christ. Have a look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. The revelation of who? Are you with me here this morning? The revelation of who? Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Aren't you glad you have a revelation of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad for that? That God gave uh, you know, to his angel to give to John and now to us. And now even the preacher preaching and declaring 2,000 years later the same message that God gave regarding his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, who bore, he says, who bore record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Look at verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Number six, the testimony of God refers to the crucified Christ. I believe verse two of 1 Corinthians chapter two reveals this to us. In context, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth that he never came with this excellency of speech nor with human wisdom, but he came declaring the testimony of God. In verse 2 we find it. Have a look. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul was absolutely absorbed by the message of the cross. He was absorbed by it. He, he, he determined, the Bible says, this is uh, you know, something that uh, he was uh, passionate about, determined not to know anything among you. Now, this doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul didn't teach other doctrines that centered around the gospel and Jesus Christ, where in fact the majority of the letters written by Paul were filled with doctrine. However, when it came to preaching the gospel to the lost people, Jesus Christ was the center of the message. Him crucified. It wasn't the eloquence of a man. It wasn't philosophy, if you will. It wasn't uh, the wisdom and, uh, 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 of man. It was the simple, crucified Christ. He, that's all he preached, just plainly and simply. And so when Paul preached, he said, I determined, I determined not to know anything among you. So Paul's ultimate determination was to preach Christ crucified. That was, that was the very message that he, when he went out to preach, he, he didn't preach about evolution. I'm not saying that you can't, you know, uh, simply expose, if you will, the nonsense of evolution to an atheist when you go out sowing. But listen, cut the cord of argument, make those few points and go back to the cross. You know what, you know what Paul did? He lifted up the cross. He lifted up the cross. He, he continued to go and lift up the cross to a people who needed uh, Christ as their saviour. 
And so Paul was resolved. That's what it means, determined. Resolved. Fixed. Uh, he was separated to the preaching of the gospel, uh, to the preaching of the cross, to Christ being crucified was the central message of, of what he preached. He, Paul knew that the power of God on the salvation was the gospel. Christ crucified. Paul preached the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm determined not to know anything about but save Jesus, right? Christ, the person, he preached the person of Christ. And listen, and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And him what? Crucified. Can't just stop there. A lot of people just like to stop. Oh yeah, Jesus was a good man. He helped a lot of people, said a good, good, said a good for you, you know, a lot of good things. No, he's more than that. He's the God man that came all the way to heaven, the sinless lamb of God to die for the sins of the world. Crucified amongst, you know, the people. Lifted up, if you will, on the cross to die for people. That was the center of his message. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the first pillar, if you will, of the gospel. You know, this is... The whole gospel itself is Jesus was uh, died for our sins, was buried, was, rose again. So the first pillar of the gospel is that Jesus was crucified. John the Baptist preached this. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John saith Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Hey, here it is. The Lamb of God that what? That taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist preached it. The 12 disciples preached Christ crucified. And they got in trouble for it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, and they called them and commanded them. This was the authorities, the religious rulers. Yet they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? You know, it's, it's almost like our, our society today. You can almost speak about anything to anyone. But as soon as you bring up Jesus Christ... And him crucified. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear it. And the verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more unto God judge ye. He goes on to say in verse 20, and I love this, it was like the attitude of the Apostle Paul, how he was determined. He, has, he was simply fixed and focused, but he said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Philip the evangelist was a man that also preached Christ. When we went to the Samaritans, he preached Christ. In Acts 8, verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Then he went, the Holy Spirit led him to the backside of the desert in their Gaza and he pre preached to an Ethiopian eunuch that was reading from the prophet Isaiah and said, the eunuch said, you know, who, who's this speaking about? And so he opened his mouth in verse 35 and began at the same scripture and he preached unto him, what? Jesus. Now notice verse 3, 1 Corinthians 2. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, Paul didn't preach the gospel in his own strength or in his pride or with uh, simply uh, abusing his authority, but rather Paul was not uh, dealing with false teachers. He was preaching the gospel to people that were sick in sin. You know, when Paul dealt with false teachers, he really, like Christ, would no doubt speak so boldly and firmly and rebuke them. But when it came to preaching to the common man and those that were taken, if you will, by false teachers or uh, were misled or whatever, he would just simply declare 
the plain truth of God's word with all humility, with fear, uh, 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 and he says he much trembling. See, Paul preached in weakness. Why? Because he understood what happened to him prior coming to Corinth. You say, what happened? Well, hey, the guy was persecuted to no end. He was persecuted over and over again. He was beaten, bu uh, abused, imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica and Berea, and faced the mocking mob in Athens. Now, I don't know about you, but when you go out and preach the gospel to people, and you're persecuted, and you go to the next town, you'd be fearful in declaring the things of God uh, for that purpose, but for other purposes also. Because we know and understand when Paul preached the message, he preached it with fear. Not that he had a spirit of fear and was worried about the faces of people, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. But rather he would preach in fear, knowing the terror of the Lord, he would persuade, persuade men. I don't know about you, but when you think about what's coming and the judgment of God, you cannot help but feel for the people that you're preaching to. He says, you know, Paul says to the Corinthians in the second letter, he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What's the terror of the Lord? Well, the coming judgment. John the Baptist says, who had warned you to flee from the wrath of God to come. I mean, this is not threats that these preachers are making. This is a reality and fact. There's a judgment. I say to people all the time, all the time when I'm on the street witnessing the people that don't believe that they're going to stand before God one day. I just simply say, you know what, Hitler's not going to get away with it, and, you, and neither are you. We're all going to give an account. We're all going to stand before God and give an account for all that we've done in this body. But listen, you can escape the judgment. And you can escape the judgment, and you preach Christ. But you don't go and, you know, you're not mocking these people. You're, actually, it's a fearful thing to start preaching about the judgment to come. It's a fearful thing. It's not something that should be taken lightly. The preacher here before us is not preaching the gospel in a very light manner. He's preaching it with fear. With fear. You know what Jude said? Jude said, and some have compassion, making a difference. Look at this. And others save with what? Fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It's a serious thing to preach the gospel. It's a sobering thing when you preach the gospel of Christ. It's not a laughing matter. It's not a, a, a matter of joking around the very things that center around biblical connotations like heaven, hell, sin, judgment. You know, Christ, Christ, the Messiah, the ruler, Lucifer, the devil. I mean, when you think about these things and when you ponder upon these things and you know what takes place because of these things, there's a fear that overshadows you. You know, for preachers, you've got to understand you're inviting a spiritual attack upon your life and the life of your family. When you are on the forefront preaching the gospel, the devil has you as a target. And a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people don't understand the vicious enemy that we have opposing the things of God. They live life in a lot, in a lot, uh, Christians live life in a blase way. Eating and drinking and making merry, not understanding that we're in a fight, a spiritual battle for the souls of men. It's very sad, but that's where, we, that's where we're at. And we should also, like Paul, maintain a humble disposition and not be arrogant toward those we are reaching with the gospel. 
I mean, this is, uh, there is a place for rebuke, for discipline. Uh, however, we should never misuse our approach. Never. We must walk in wisdom to know how to discern the hogs from the dogs and those that are sincere. You know, those false teachers from those that are being taken by the false teachers. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. With what? With what? Meekness and with fear. It's a sobering moment. Sharing your testimony should be a sobering moment. You know, a lot of people, it's, it, it, you know, focus more on, the, on, on the, the life of sin and how God got him out and, and sure. But the sobering moment of, of what we declare to people is the mercy of God, how he withheld his judgment, listen, and put his own son on a cross to die in our place. I mean, you hear testimonies over and over again today. Yeah, a life of sin and drugs and it's sure but you hear you, you you barely hear Christ and what he's done and how I saw the cross and crucified for me died for me loved me God judged his son on my behalf that's the message of the cross that's Christ crucified and what it means to us and everything that it simply involves judgment for sin you know, the cross predicts three things, I believe, and perhaps even a little bit more. But these three things, I believe, number one, God hates sin. He hates it. Number two, God has to judge sin. And number three, the reality of hell. These are sobering things that should impact our soul and be a witness to those that hear and know and understand there's something different about us well we've come to know the one that loved us you know why don't you buckle under the uh you know uh the pressure of persecution why, why don't you why do you let people treat you and speak to you like that you know what what well this is the character of a christian this is the sermon on the mount if you will hebrews 12 verse 28 wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God. Look at this. Acceptab acceptably, with reverence, and what? Godly fear. You know, when Noah was caught to build an ark, the Bible says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet, he says, not seen as yet, moved with what? Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. There's something that Noah knew that God revealed to him that caused him with fear to build that ark. The Bible calls him the preacher of righteousness. You see, all the prophets and the apostles were righteous preachers of God, declaring the message of God. Listen, and the judgment of God to come. I was saying a man to a man yesterday. I always say it, and it's true. I believe one of the greatest sins that you can ever commit is to reject Jesus Christ as your personal saviour. It's like spitting in God's face and say, what you have provided for me is not good enough. And the truth of the matter is, what God gave was heaven's best, more than sufficient. He gave us the Lamb of God, came from the bosom, if you want, the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. 
And those that honor Christ, God will honor them and not be ashamed of them in that day. But the opposite is true. You deny Christ, you reject him. That day will be a terrible day for you. You know, this is what Paul means when he preached the, with much trembling, if you will. The messages of God is, is not something to, uh, you know, tippy-toe against or uh, sugarcoat, if you will. Paul trembled. To tremble means to quake, to shake with fear. And although he was a bold preacher presenting the truth, he maintained an utmost respect for the things of God. Paul took the ministry of the word seriously, dealing with souls seriously, and he calls for all Christians to do the same. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my absence only, but much more in my presence. Look at this. Work out, live it out. Work out your salvation with what? With fear and what? Trembling. Now, if you know and understand and you're mature enough to understand, it doesn't mean that Christians don't have peace, love and joy. But there's another side of these things that we simply are engaged with, especially when we're simply uh, living out the Christian life. We're in a warfare. We're in a spiritual battle. That's why he says to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One of the devil's tactics is to make the truth full of not only lies, but a joke. Joking around spiritual things, not good. Joking around the Bible, it's not good. The truth that we proclaim, the truth that we read from this word, from God, revelation of his dear son, should we always be handled with care and concern, much fear and trembling. We, as teachers and Bible students, and even parents that are teaching, our children must be very careful how we handle the Word of God. Not to undermine the truths found therein. But to remind them that God is serious about His Word. What God will say, He will do, He will do. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With what? With fear and trembling. What do you mean? Working for my boss? Uh, God wants me to do it with fear and trembling? How important is, uh, is this? Well, it's a reflection, especially if you say that you're a Christian. It's a reflection of who you follow. And so your boss at work needs to see that you're a serious, sober man, woman. You're not silly, foolish, taken by the world's devices. There's something different about that man. He's got his head together. Switched on. He doesn't go to the Melbourne Cup after work with us. There's something different. Nor does he judge us. There's something different. And with meekness and fear, we need to tell them when they ask what that difference is. You know, why would I ever ask? I, you know, why you are like this? Why are you like that? You know why Christians don't get asked? Because they're not living with meekness and fear. They're not living with much trembling about the things of life. They're living their life, some of them like a joke. Mucking around, making things that are serious, so trivial. He says over here, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. In other words, be sincere and genuine. As unto the Lord. Not with eye service as man pleases, 
But as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the what? There you go. Paul felt the same way when he first met the church at Thessalonica. We don't have time to go through that passage. But notice verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he says, my speech and my preaching, in other words, the content of what he preached, was not with what? Enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. You know what? That last phrase of that verse has been misused and abused. We're going to see what that really means in the light of context and what Paul is saying. But firstly, Paul's words and preaching were not deceptive. In other words, he didn't use enticing words. What Paul said was simply the truth. You didn't have to say, oh, I wonder what he meant by that. No, it's just truth. It was out there. As a matter of fact, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, he said that his speech was rude. It sounded like it was forceful. It was forward, and, you know, to the point. And so Paul didn't try to use words to manipulate people into coming to Christ. Uh, he, first and foremost, was interested in pleasing God. We know that for sure. He was a faithful preacher of the truth. Notice what he says in Galatians to the, uh, 1 and verse 10. He says, we, he says, for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What Paul was simply saying, that he wasn't going to be a political preacher. He wasn't going to go and scope out his audience and tell them what they wanted to hear. That's a, I mean, that's a political preacher. That's a preacher that really want to shake the boat, you know, uh, rattle some feathers, if you will. Uh, he just wants to be loved and cared and admired. You know what Jesus said about that. He says, woe unto you if all men, all men speak well of you. The content of our preaching, what we say and how we speak, the things that are true in this word will not make you that popular, I tell you that much. You'll be the offscoring of the world, the scum, that's what Paul said. You'll be persecuted, misunderstood. But he says, I'm not here to please men, I'm here to please God. Not that you disrespect men. Because in the same uh, vein, Paul the Apostle writes to us and says, hey, honour all men. But not at the expense of the truth. Not that we preach error or manipulate people or downplay the seriousness of Scripture in order to win the favour of a man or make the message more palatable. No, we must preach the truth and Paul did that. A Bible teacher once said, preaching strategies and centered around the wisdom of men, around emotion, entertainment, and human personalities may yield a response, but not results for the kingdom of God. Many people use slick entertainment or even deceptive means to lure people into the church and justify it by saying, we are drawing them in and then winning them to Jesus. But the principle stands, what you draw them with is what you, what you draw them to. And it's true. And I would continue to say that what you draw them with, you have to maintain in order for you not to lose them. In other words, if you're going to do a, uh, you know, some sort of skit, uh, entertainment, uh, singing this, whatever it is, and you're not going to labour on the truth uh, for the whole 
portion of the message and you're going to try to make it more lively. What are we going to do this time to break up the, the service? People just get bored sitting for an hour listening. We've got to make it interesting. And so, if you know, you're going to have to continue to think, how are you going to keep them? How are you going to keep them? How are you gonna... If people of God in the 21st century can sit and listen to an hour of sermon and feel like 10 minutes, that's revival. That was back in Acts chapter 20 when Paul preached to midnight. He preached to midnight. A man fell out of the window, died. Paul revived him again and continued to preach to the day dawn. Yeah, believe that. Unbelievable. We're going to have preaching for the whole night here. Anyone up for that? All night preaching. Amen. We'll do that once a year. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Well, praise God. I mean, people have all-nighters for all sorts of things. But when it comes to the Word of God today, the apathy begins to... Oh, why? Why? I'll say because there are churches out there that are trying to make Christianity like the world. And it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be different. You know why? Because we have a holy God. God is holy, separate from the world. When people come in this room, uh, uh, they need to hear this hearing of hymns and say, what is this? For me, when I first went to church and I heard the hymns, I was like... What is this? It's not that I didn't like it. I thought it was beautiful. I didn't sing. I just heard. I didn't know how to sing like that. I just was listening. I think this is different. It's out of this world. And it was. It was out of this world. It's not I didn't like it. It took me a while to get used to it. But I thank God for it now. I, couldn't, I can't sing anything else. It's beautiful. And so it is with the Word of God. When you're built up in the faith and you learn to understand the character of God. When you're under heavy persecution time and time again, and the world opposes the things of God and you have carnal Christians coming around even opposing you for preaching uh, the truths of God's word straight down the line. You go back and you read the prophets, you read 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus and you feel normal again. <laughs> That's what happens. When I get down and out thinking, am I too much preaching the word of God? I go back, reading, read the prophets and what happened to them? Read what happened to the apostles and of course, look what happened to Jesus Christ for preaching the truth. Said it last week. Jesus wasn't crucified because he fed the 5,000. He wasn't crucified because he raised the dead, made the blind see, made the lame walk. He was crucified because he preached the truth. That's why he said, I came to testify of the truth. <clears throat> and he did. Trying to persuade people, by the way, uh, is not necessarily wrong. It's how you persuade them. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? and lose his own soul and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul he's trying to persuade people get him to think paul did it often but he did it out of the scripture in acts chapter 19 verse 8 and when he paul in the synagogue spoke boldly for a space of three months look at this disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of god acts chapter 28 verse 23 and when they uh, he says this and when they had appointed him a day there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded, testifying the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. How did he persuade them though? Both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning to evening, because we know and understand that Moses and the prophets pointed to Jesus. Paul began, you know, uh, to, to preach the word, persuading people, calling people, compelling people like Jesus calls us to do, to come into the kingdom. And he would have preached the word of God to do that. He didn't compromise. He became all things to all men without compromising. I believe we can do that. Second of all, Paul's words and preaching 
was in demonstration here. The demonstration of the Spirit. It was demonstrated of the Spirit and of power. So the demonstration of the Spirit and power doesn't mean that the, the Corinthians saw something spectacular of Paul the Apostle. And this is where the second blessing of the Holy Spirit comes in. It tried to creep into our church. That people need to see something like the Great Awakening with George Whitfield. They need to see, wow, look at this, whoa, preacher. It's causing a revival. Now, you know, we have a lot of men honoring today, honoring uh, the reformers and honoring this. And, uh, you, can, you can honor them in a, in a very light manner, but you know, it's over the top now. It's like worshiping of men and they want to relive the Great Awakening instead of, you know what, maybe being a Jeremiah now day to day. Knowing and understand, look, listen, God is looking for a person to preach the simple gospel to a simple people. That's it. Paul wasn't on cloud nine, you know, or they saw Paul elevated and he came in this demonstration of the spirit and some sort of spectacular thing. No, no, he came with basic preaching, a frail old perhaps man. Nothing special about the apostle Paul. I mean, think about it. Paul already explained uh, uh, you know, very clearly that he was feeble and weak. He reminds them in chapter 1 that I wasn't crucified for you. Uh, you weren't baptized in Paul's name. In chapter 3, he goes on to say, the seed sower is nothing. The seed waterer is nothing. It's God that gives the increase. Don't you elevate the preacher. This is what's happening in the church at Corinth. They were elevating the preacher. And what he's trying to do is undermine that, elevate Christ. You know what the second blessing teaching today does? Elevate man. Wow, how well you speak in tongues, my brother. Oh, how well you talk. Ooh, wow. You know, pat one another in our last days. Instead of elevating Christ, going out there, reaching people with the gospel. Keep it simple so people get saved and no one understand what Christ means to us instead. They're just elevating man, elevating man, elevating man. Let's write more biographies. Oh, I'm, not, I'm against biographies, my friend. But listen, if we're not learning the same power that affected them, that can affect today in our lives, then we're, we're really just worshipping people. And Paul didn't want that for the Corinthians. He wanted them to elevate Christ. Keep the gospel simple. That's all he was trying to do. He was trying to get them to go back to Christ and him crucified. Paul was trying to discredit man-centered ministries based upon eloquence and human wisdom and bring the attention of the Corinthians back to the wisdom of God, which is the gospel, and to the work of God by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. When the simple gospel message is preached, the Spirit of God is at work in the heart of those that hear it, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's the demonstration. Christ be lifted up, he said. If Christ be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. And the Holy Spirit knows how to do that best when you preach the simple gospel. It's nothing about the man. Did you get the second blessing, brother? What do you just get get the gospel? And go and tell someone about it. Oh, but no one wants to hear. Welcome to my country. This is the day we're living in. It doesn't mean we go and seek out another Pentecost. Pentecost has come. It's gone. The Holy Spirit is here. How do you get the Holy Spirit? By believing on the Lord Jesus. 
Are you waiting in your room for another uh, falling of the Spirit and sitting there and let's sing and pray for the Holy Spirit to come? We want the demonstration. We want to see a great revival. Listen, when I see someone, one person come to Christ, that's a revival in my heart. Just one, just that one. And heaven will declare it. Why are you in the ministry? Oh, just bothers me to see preachers signing books, their books, signing Bibles. What are you doing this for? What are you doing this for? You're teaching our children to worship men. I don't know. I never understood the signing of Bibles. I had preached overseas and little kids come up to me. I'm thinking, what do I do here? And then I'll just write simple statement. Keep your eyes on Christ. Here you go. Another little boy comes. Oh, keep your eyes on Jesus. I'd never understood all this signing of Bibles and all the rest of that. Again, we're not talking about dishonoring men. As a matter of fact, the Bible says give double honor to those that preach the word of God. You know what that means? Don't disrespect them because of their vocation. They're already being disrespected by the world. Don't look down at them. But at the same time, don't put them on a pedestal. <laughs> don't put them on a pedestal. Am I making sense here today? Who do we put on the pedestal? Who do we lift up? Jesus. Christ. And him crucified. Never forgetting the cross of Christ. That's what Paul, he lived his life that way. He lived his life. He says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how does that happen? Glory in the cross? Cross means death. Christ, who is the ruler of all, the Lord of glory, crucified? It's a great paradox. Who wants to be first will be last, and those that will be last will be first. It's a paradox. Those that are humble will be lifted up. Those that are proud will be abased. And so we need to live lives that are lifting Christ up, preaching Christ, Him crucified. When the simple gospel is preached, the Spirit of God is at work. The Word of God and the, sword of the, and the Spirit of God work together, demonstrating the power of God. Ephesians 6 verse 17, in the sword of the Spirit, which is... The word of God. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfound love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart. Fervently being born again, how? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth for how long? forever. The Word of God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God that worketh in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the what? Power that worketh in us. First Thessalonians 2, 13, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is it in truth, the word of God. Look at, which effectually worketh also in you that what? 
believe. Worketh uh, effectually in you means to, it was operative. It was, it was at work. It, it put forth power. A Bible teacher said, Paul knew it is the pe preacher's job to preach. It is the Holy Spirit's job to demonstrate. Paul's preaching may not have been impressive or persuasive on a human level, but on a spiritual level, it had power, especially to those that believed on it. In other words, when Paul came into Corinth and he preached Christ crucified and they believed it, something happened in the human heart of a man. That's God's work. That's not Paul's work. That's why chapter 3, who's Paul and who's Apollos? Zero. But it's God that giveth the what? Increase. Verse 5 is proof that the demonstration of the Spirit and the power is the Word of God and the preaching of the Gospel, the wisdom of God. That's, it, verse 5 proves it. It's nothing about the man having some sort of Holy Spirit power you know, to be elevated and lifted up like, whoa, no, 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 no. Have a look at verse 5. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the what? In the power of God. You know what? God doesn't want men to get glory. You know, what happened the last time? We know when we read the book of Acts, when Herod tried to take the glory of God when he spoke eloquent, what happened to him? He died. You know how he died? He was eaten by worms. Didn't even go six foot under, I don't believe he had. Imagine that. There were some obscure passages in the Bible. You know, uh, that's one of them. Can you imagine that visual? He, 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 unsaved man. God gave him a brain. He was a king, spoke eloquently, and people went. <laughs> and he took the glory. That's the worst thing. You know, the world wants the glory. You know, that's why you've got so many idols here today, Australian Idol, The Voice, this, that, talent shows and all the rest of it. They want to take what God gave them to glorify themselves. He said, that's the world. But Christianity is doing it today. It's all on social, elevating men. The man hasn't even died yet. And you're elevating men. Hey, good preaching. Praise God. You stayed to the text. You preached God's word. But people today are preaching philosophies, writing their own book, uh, posing for it like that with their signature on it. What is this? I say, you're jealous, Charlie. I'm not jealous. I thank God that I don't have eloquence. It could have been a temptation to me. <laughs> a simple gospel message. Thank you, Lord, for not giving me that. And some people that do have that, they use it for God's glory. Nothing wrong with it. Thank God for those people too that have a brain on them and they're eloquent. There are some uh, scholars that I read, I say, man, you just said it way better than I said it. But you know what? He complimented the Bible. He never said something different that the Bible says. He just preached what the Bible said and he said it in a way that just magnified it. And those things we say amen to. But not man's philosophies, ideas, or lifting up eloquence and human philosophy and wisdom above that which is the scripture. By the way, let me encourage you once. I'm not against commentaries. Yeah, actually, this is almost like a commentator preaching right now. I'm not against those things. But listen, never read the commentary, the commentary like this. Never. 
It's got to be like this. So you read that, I wonder what so-and-so says about that. And I wonder what so-and-so says, oh, that's a good point, yeah, I could see that. This is not the authority. This is the authority. And this ought to always be the authority. That's why the Bereans were commended, because they went back to see what Paul was saying, if it was true. And, 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 and you know what? They were commended for it. And yet that's a Bible student. Going back to see, is that really what the Bible is saying? You've got a lot of people out there that may have good intentions, but listen, the word of God will always trump over good intentions. And remember, Israel had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Passion without truth is, you need both. Passion and truth. You need to have a heart for the things of God, and the things of God are, are revealed to us by the Spirit of God in the Word of God. Paul makes it the contrast between the wisdom of men and the power of God. Paul preached the simple message, Christ crucified. The Corinthians believed and rest in that power of the gospel and not in man's wisdom. He reminds them of that. He reminds them of that. I like what Warren Weasby said as we close. He says, Paul depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not his experience or ability that gave his ministry its power. It was the work of the Spirit of God. His preaching was a demonstration, not a performance. The word translated demonstration means legal proof presented in the court. The Holy Spirit used Paul's preaching to change lives. And that was the proof Paul needed that his message was from God. Wicked sinners were transformed by the power of God. However, we must not, uh, he says, we must note that Paul is not telling ministers to deliberately uh, uh, preach poorly or to avoid using the gifts God gave them. Those who minister the word of God must prepare and use every gift God has given them, but they must not put their confidence in themselves. I thank God for spiritual gifts that he's given different people. But that's where it stands. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. For what? For the perfecting of the saints? For the work of the ministry? For the building up and the edifying of, of, of the people so they're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine? And if your main obligation is get the truth out, people know the truth, walk in truth, man, that's a good motive. Anything else? No. Some people try to make the gospel message less offensive, more palatable. However, if a person comes to Christ because they've been resting in a sugarcoat, downplayed gospel and not trusting in the solid truth of God's word, then that won't last. It won't last. And you know what they become? They almost like become apostates. If you're putting your faith in, in a man's word and not in God's word and saying, well, this is, I'm convicted, man. What you're saying is true. What you're saying is true. A lot of people say, uh, I've, I've got it frequently. They say, man, you know how to talk. No, 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 hang on a minute. I'm just preaching the gospel, brother. I'm just telling you the simple truths of God's word and it's affecting your heart. You need to, you need to respond. I, I, God has gifted me, yes, I know how to talk. No. I go back and say, brother, if God is working in your heart, it's so easy to elevate men. Corinthians were elevating men. Paul goes back and says, hey, Christ, crucified. 
He's the wisdom of God. He's the plan of salvation. He's the reason of your salvation. Stop making clicks. Stop following men and follow Christ. The only time I would say, hey, don't follow that man, over, you know, follow this man, is when that man is, talking, is, is preaching false doctrine. So better off following Paul. He's an apostle authenticated by God. He preaches the truth. Paul says, follow me as I follow who? Christ. Don't follow these false teachers. You're going to follow men as long as they preach the truth of God's word. The Bible teacher said, if someone can be persuaded into the kingdom by human wisdom, they can be persuaded out of the kingdom by human wisdom also. A faith that, sta a faith that stands is a faith that has believed on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the crucified one, with all of their heart. That's a faith that's going to stand. Amen? And may God help every single one of us to have our faith in the Word of God, in the Son of God, with the help of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and not in a man. Not in a man. Let's pray.